Ecclesiastes chapter 11. Remember the Alamo. Remember Pearl Harbor. Never forget 9-11. Throughout our young country's history, we have recognized the importance of commemorating moments of national tragedy to drive our actions in the present, to guide our preparations for the future. On November 19th, 1863, President Abraham Lincoln stood at Soldiers National Cemetery in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, spoke these words. Four score and seven years ago, our Forefathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty, dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Words that we continue to remember and commemorate to this day. When the United States abolished, finally, abolished slavery, it was not the first world power to do so, but it was the fastest to do so less than 100 years after the birth of our great nation, the process to abolish slavery began and continued. Meanwhile, today, some current world powers continue to practice slavery without a word from our politicians or our athletes and celebrities who profit from those same countries. And as we look around at the chaos in our country today, as we see Marxists, racist groups like BLM, others, actively tearing down monuments of remembrance, seeking to rewrite our national history as we see enemies of the state sit in positions of power within our own government. We must sadly conclude that many in our nation have forgotten. They've forgotten the lessons of the past if they were ever taught them to begin with. And this certainly grieves us, but it should not surprise us as the Church of Jesus Christ, because as we have stressed time and time again over the last several months, the God of this age is the father of lies, and he would like nothing more than to have us forget things that God has called us to remember, and now we're not just simply talking about our national history, we're talking about humanity's history. The devil would love to have us forget humanity's past so that we have no clear understanding of humanity's future as revealed to us in the Word of God. Satan has spent a lot of time actively, effectively rewriting history, rewriting uh, the story of creation. Many, most, even many Christians, but many Um, in the church, most in the world have bought into a false history of the world. They've forgotten the things that God has commanded us never to forget. But we must not forget. And there are two things this morning that Solomon is going to remind us as we begin to close. Lord willing, this week and next week we'll conclude this incredible book from the Old Testament, but there are two things that we're going to look at this morning 
that are eternally significant realities that Solomon, as he closes this book, and this is really his life's work, inspired by the Holy Spirit, two things that he wants us to remember. Now, before we look at chapter 11 together, I want you to just very quickly walk back through the book with me. We'll maybe, maybe spend a little more time doing this next week, but just want to remind you how we've gotten to this point. Ecclesiastes is Solomon's search for and discovery of the profit of life, the value, the eternal significance of a fleeting life. Back in chapter 1, we saw his introduction where Solomon uh, sets out on a quest to find lasting profit in a fleeting breath of a life. He begins this great work with the Hebrew words hebel hebelim. Translated in the King James as vanity of vanities, literally breath of breaths. Everything Solomon says is a breath. Life is fleeting. How can we find eternal significance in a fleeting life? Chapter 2, he gives us his research methods, his initial feedback, and we read about his failures and his frustration. But he ends the chapter with renewed faith because he discovers the meaning of life. And he reveals that to us in chapter 3. And the answer to the quest, the answer to the question, how do we get eternal significance out of a fleeting life, is found in chapter 3. The answer is simply fear God. Fear before Him. Life comes in seasons. Each season has a purpose. We don't always understand the purpose while we're going through it. But every season of life, God tells us, has a purpose. Beauty fades in this world. Questions remain. We don't have all of our questions answered in this life. There are questions that likely we will not have answered for us even in eternity. Not that we will care when we're in the presence of our Lord and Savior and in the eternal state, but in this life, pleasures are brief. Our insights are limited. Travail Solomon reminds us, is inevitable. But through all of that, we can find significance if we will fear God. Then in chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 11, verse 8, he gives us the presentation of his findings, the defense of his thesis that life is all about fear in God, that fear, the fear of the Lord must be what drives us through life. And then in chapter 11, verse 9, he begins to conclude. Now, as we look at this end of this book, we see really there are two conclusions. I'm sure uh, you've seen a movie before where it had almost more than one ending. Uh, or you've read a book where there was a, sort of like a hard ending, a climactic dramatic ending, and then there was sort of a follow-up ending to try to wrap up some of the storylines. If you've seen uh, The Return of the King, uh, that movie has like seven endings to it. Uh, this book has two endings, uh, and we'll talk more about this, Lord willing, next Sunday. But for sake of our time this morning, part one uh, we'll look at today is the poetic conclusion. Uh, next week, the prophetic conclusion. And it may be that there are two different authors at play here, and, and we'll talk more about this next week, Lord willing. But uh, I believe that what we'll look at next week is uh, a portion of scripture that is inspired by the Holy Spirit, absolutely, no less inspired than any other part of scripture, but likely concluded by someone else, perhaps the scribe that 
Solomon was using. We know that Moses used scribes. We know that Joshua used a scribe. We know that, by the way, because the ends of their writings continue after their death, right? Deuteronomy doesn't end with or before the death of Moses. It continues on. So we know that there was a scribe that Moses was using, just as inspired by the Holy Spirit as Moses. We know that Jeremiah used a scribe. We know the apostle Paul used a scribe, uh, at least one scribe, multiple scribes likely. And so uh, very likely this this morning is Solomon's conclusion to the book. We see him wrap it up uh, in uh, chapter 12, the same way that he begins, with the declaration of the brevity of life. And then along comes either maybe, Sol- maybe Solomon, maybe a scribe comes along and gives us more of a theological wrap-up in uh, the end of chapter 12. But Solomon here, uh, this poetic conclusion to the book, is going to share with us some essential truths. And really, we could entitle this message, all that really matters. All that really matters. There are two things that Solomon wants us to remember as he is preparing to die and as he is finishing this life's work by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, two essential truths that you and I must remember. Now, these are not shocking revelations. These are not things, if you've been a part of this church or any Bible preaching church for any period of time, that should come as any surprise to you. Nevertheless, there are things as obvious as they are that we often forget. We take our eyes off. We allow ourselves to be distracted from these realities. And Solomon is saying, don't be distracted. Reset your focus. These are two pillars of how you should live your life. These are two essential truths. This is all that really matters when it comes down to it. And he's not going to tell us that all that matters is he that finishes with the most toys wins. Solomon finished with the most toys, by the way, and he said it's not enough. He that finishes with the most women wins. Solomon finished with the most women. He said it's not enough. In fact, he grieved that he had surrounded himself with so many ungodly women in this book back in chapter 7. It's not about possessions. It's not about pleasure. It's not about status. Solomon was king of the greatest nation in the world. It was God's nation. How do you know it was the greatest nation? It was God's nation. It was where God placed his temple. It's where God's presence was dwelling at that time in history. This was the greatest nation in the world. He was the king. Solomon says it's not enough. Here's what really matters. There are two things. Now, as we Look at this passage of Scripture and look at these two things. I, I first want you to understand what the word remember really means. This is not just a reminder like, don't forget. Sometimes we use that when we, that, that's what we mean when we use the word remember. Well, just don't forget. The word remember carries with it a greater connotation. To remember in the Old Testament is more than just to recall something. It's to acknowledge and respond to a truth. It's to focus on that truth. It's to honor something. Remember in the Old Testament means to honor. The first time it's used, it's used of Noah. It's God remembering. God God didn't need reminded, okay? So when Genesis tells us that 
God remembered Noah. It's not saying that he had to be reminded. It's, of course, it's saying that he was going to honor. He was going to focus his attention on Noah. He was going to honor Noah's faithfulness in Genesis 8. One, same thing in Genesis 19, verse 29, when he remembered Abraham and the covenant that he had made with Abraham. This was God honoring his commitment to Abraham. We're commanded to remember some things. Peter says in Second uh, uh, Peter uh, chapter uh, 1, verses 12 through 15, that there are some things that he wants us to remember, and yet he's writing to remind us. He said, I know you know these things, but I want you to remember them. I want you to focus on them. I want you to honor these truths. In the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was called to remember the Sabbath, Exodus chapter 20, verse 8, and keep it holy, to focus on it, to honor. So when we talk about remembering, this is not just a reminder this morning. There is a response that God is going to require of us as we remember these two essential truths. Let's look at chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, as we begin to unpack uh, the first thing that Solomon wants us to remember. Uh, Actually, let's go ahead and read down uh, from verse 7 to to, uh, verse 10. Chapter 11, verses 7 through 10, Solomon writes, Truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing It is for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, even if you could live for a long time and not have a lot of suffering in your life, even if you could live 150, 200 years, even if you could live hundreds of years like they did back at the dawn of creation, and you rejoiced in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they shall be many. All that cometh is hebel, is vanity, is a breath, is fleeting. Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. Therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart. Put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are hebel, are vanity, are fleeting, as fleeting as a breath. Here's the first thing that Solomon wants us to remember. Remember your mortality. Remember your mortality. We don't like to remember. You say, I know that. I know that I'm getting older. I know that death is in the future if if the Lord doesn't come back first in the rapture. I know that, that I'm going to eventually die. But do you remember that? Do you focus on it? Is it something that you uh, are driven by and that you live in response to? Not, not with despair, as we'll see. Not woe is me, as we'll see. But do you respond to that reality? And we have to remember that for as by one man, Romans 5 tells us, sin entered into the world. Death by sin. So death passed upon all men for all have sinned. We die because of sin. We die because of sin, and we live in a sinful world, and we are sinful people. All of us sin. And so life has great beauty. Life is so wonderful. It's such a gift. 
from God. He, he says it that way. Truly, the light is sweet and a pleasant thing for the eyes to behold the sun. The word that he uses here is the word that he's used throughout this book, the Hebrew word tob, which means beautiful, excellent. Life has incredible beauty. Remember what he told us back in uh, chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. We saw in chapter 7 how to live the beautiful life, how to live a life of beauty and excellence in his sight. God wants you to enjoy the beauty that he's given you in this life. And there is much to be thankful for as we get ready to celebrate. I know Thanksgiving is going to be a lot different for, for most of us this year. And I know that many of us are despairing about that. But I want to challenge you that despite the limitations, despite the fact that it's not for many of us going to go the way that we planned or hoped, there is so much to be thankful for, even in the midst of that. Life is a beautiful gift from God. But Solomon says, despite that, even if you live hundreds of years full of rejoicing and full of ease and little travail, even if that were, that's a fictional, fictional thing in our case, but even if that fiction could become your reality, nevertheless, remember that the days of darkness will be many. In other words, uh, the days of death will outnumber the days under the sun. The days of death will outnumber the days under the sun. Now, if you have confessed your sin before the Lord, if you've recognized that you're a sinner, if you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin because you understand that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became the perfect sinless sacrifice, that God became a man, that He died on a cross for your sin in your place, that He paid your sin debt, that He rose again, that He's living and alive, and that He is offering you forgiveness, eternal life, you simply need to receive it by grace through faith, then your body is still going to die. But Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And so our hope is not darkness in a casket somewhere until Jesus comes back. Our hope is absent from the body, present with the Lord. Nevertheless, that's going to be a lot longer experience than any kind of life that we live here and now. And we need to remember that. We, we make so much about this life, but it's the next life that really matters. And that's what Solomon is saying here. Remember your mortality. Remember that the days of death will outnumber the days that we have in this life. And everything that's coming. And even that transitional period. Solomon's been dead for thousands of years. But even that separation from his body will be a breath compared to eternity. When his name is called and Christ raises him from the dead and he gets to experience heaven with us. Everything that we face until that moment when either we come back with the Lord or when that trumpet sounds, voice of the archangel, trump of God, dead in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them. From that moment on, everything is permanent. But until then, everything's temporary. So remember your mortality. Now, how do we respond to that? 
If I'm truly going to remember that, Solomon, if I'm going to truly remember that, Pastor DJ, how do I respond to that? Solomon gives us five things that we have to do with the life that we have. This beautiful life that God has given to us, this excellent gift that God has given to us, here's five things that you need to do. You need to start now. If you haven't started already, number one, find your joy. Find your joy. Rejoice, verse 9, O young man in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Do you know why we get excited about things? Do you know why we love to be loved? Do you know why we, we get pleasure at all? Because God has created us to experience those things. Now, because of sin, life is tainted. Because of sin, life comes with pain as well. Because of sin. And there's a day coming when that sin will be removed and we won't have to worry. There, there's a day coming when he's going to wipe away every tear. And there will be no more pain, neither sorrow nor crying, right? That day's coming. But even before we get there, God says, find your joy. God wants your heart to cheer you. God doesn't want you to live a life of woe is me and I'm going to die someday, so I'm not going to enjoy the life that I have. That, that's not spiritual. That's not spiritual, God wants you to find your joy. Every breath is a gift, so enjoy the gift that God has given to you. Do you understand? The joy of the Lord is not optional for a Christian. Now, yes, of course we go through seasons. We go through seasons of grief. We go through seasons of loss. We go through seasons of questioning God. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But we're not to dwell there. God wants us to experience the seasons of blessing as well. The joy of the Lord, Nehemiah says, should be our strength. It should be, uh, we can always rejoice in the Lord. And Paul tells us that one of the evidence that the Holy Spirit is filling us and leading us and at work in our life is joy. Amen. Love, joy, peace. It's the second thing to look for in my life. If I want to know if the Holy Spirit is really leading me, is really filling me, am I a loving person? Am I a joyful person? Now again, we go through seasons of grief. We go through seasons of loss. And it is good and right for us to grieve during those times. But I can always rejoice in the Lord. I can always rejoice in the Lord. So find your joy. Rejoice in the Lord always, Paul says. I will say it again, rejoice. I'll say it again, Paul says, rejoice. Rejoice is a command, and that means that rejoice is a choice. So we choose whether or not we're going to rejoice. Say, I don't feel like it. Well, you start rejoicing in the things that God has done for you and, and the blessings that God has given you, and let's see how, where the Holy Spirit takes it, Okay. But this week, when we're upset because we can't see all of our family, and, and we should grieve those things, but let's make sure that we also take time to rejoice in the Lord in that, in the blessings that he has given to us. Find your joy. Do it when you're young. Start now. You say, well, I'm not young anymore. Is this message even going to apply to me? Listen, start now. Start with the time that you have. And also, for those of us who are don't consider ourselves young anymore. Please understand this is what you need to teach your kids. This is what you need to teach your grandkids. To find the joy of life. To find 
the joy that God is going to provide in life, that life is not just about disappointments, that life is not just about pain and travail, although that is part of it, but that even in that, because of what Jesus Christ has done, we can find joy. Number two, follow your heart. Now, I'm going to qualify this in a minute. Solomon's going to qualify this in a minute. Understand that not only was your heart designed to cheer you, but your heart was designed to guide you. Your heart is designed, God placed your heart inside of you to be a compass. And, you're, and it's, it's going to point to your true north. It's going to point to whatever you truly value. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is there will your heart be also. So your heart was designed to point you to what you really value. People say, well, I can't, I can't control how I feel. Incorrect. You can control what you value. And when you choose what you value, your heart will follow that. Your heart is designed to do that. Your heart is designed to follow what you truly value and what truly matters to you. Now, it's true that because of sin, our heart is broken. Our eyes are broken. Jesus said the eyes are the lamp of the body. Our our eyes are designed by God to lead us in the right path. But because of sin, our eyes are broken. Our eyes lead us in the wrong direction. Our heart points us in the wrong direction. Because of sin, we value the wrong things. But God wants us to be able to follow our heart. And so here's what God does for us. He gives us a new heart. Isn't that amazing? God gives Now, you have two hearts as, as a Christian. If you're a Christian here today, you have two hearts. You have the old nature, but you also have the new nature. You are a... New creation, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. And so you have a new heart along with that. Listen to some of the promises that God has made to us. Psalm 37, 31, the law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. Psalm 119, 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. So because I have a new heart, if I will value and prioritize God's word and I will cherish God's word in my heart, then my heart will begin to point me in the right direction. If I love God's Word, and I love the God of the Word, and I trust Him, He will, because of that new heart, He will use my heart and guide me in the right direction. Yes, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17 says. But we also have the promise that He will give us a clean heart, Psalm 51. That He will create in us a clean heart and renew a steadfast spirit within us. We have the promise uh, that the Holy Spirit inside of us will fill us and lead us and guide us. And as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, what Paul says in Romans 8.14. We have this incredible promise that God will give us a new heart and a new spirit, Ezekiel 18.31 promises. So, yes, we struggle with sin, and yes, our heart is broken. Yes, our eyes are broken, and they long for the wrong things. But if we will set God, if we will seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, then we will be able to follow our heart. So, rejoice, O young man, in thy youth. Let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth. Walk in the ways of thine heart and in the sight of thine eyes. But, and here's the qualifier, here's the third thing that you have to do. If I want to make sure that I'm following the right heart, if I want to make sure that I am following the new heart, the new creation heart, if I'm 
following the Holy Spirit's leading in my life, the third thing I have to do as I remember my mortality, I have to face judgment. Face your judgment. How do I really know if it's my own heart, my sinful heart, or the heart that the Holy Spirit is creating inside of me that's leading me in this decision, that's leading me to pursue this, um, remember that you're going to stand in judgment. Remember that you're going to stand in judgment for that thing. We will all stand in judgment before Jesus Christ. We will all give an account of our lives to him. Verse 9, but know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. So, pursue your heart. Find your joy. Follow your heart. But, remember, you're going to give an account for those things. So make sure you're following the clean heart that God has recreated in you and not the foolish heart of sin. You better know that. You better know that. Now, the Hebrew word here for no is yalda. Yalda sounds like Yoda. Maybe where Lucas got the name Yoda, I don't know. Yalda means to know. In Yiddish, it's pronounced yada. Yada, yada, yada. Anybody familiar with that phrase? I know my Seinfeld fans are familiar with the phrase yada, yada, yada. Seinfeld made that phrase, that Yiddish phrase, famous worldwide but many people don't really know what it means. Yada, yada, yada means, eh, you already know what, I, what I'm going to say. I don't need to tell you. Yada, yada, yada. You know. You already know. I don't need to tell you. Now, if you've seen that episode of Seinfeld, you know that the big twist is you don't really know. And you need to be told. And you think it goes without saying, but it doesn't. It needs to be told. And so many times we say, you're, if you're not Yiddish, you probably don't say yada, yada, yada. But you, pro- you probably said this before. I know, I know, I know. I know. You don't need to tell me. I know, I know. Don't tell me. Many times we do need to, to be told. Because even though we know here, intellectually we don't know here. We need to know here. We need to remember, we need to honor and focus the, on the reality that we are going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. So don't just check it off, yeah, 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 I know that. Live that way. Live that way. Live with the reality that we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. That's why we need to study um, to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, because we're going to stand before God and present our lives to him. So face the reality of your judgment. It is appointed unto man to die once, Hebrews says, but after this the judgment, so we will all face judgment. So if I'm going to remember my mortality, find your joy, Follow your heart, but qualify those things by facing your judgment. Now, this is some heavy stuff, and so Solomon wants us to hit the pause button, take a deep breath, 
And here's the fourth thing he says you need to do. You need to forget your failures. Amen. You need to forget your failures. Don't carry the burdens of your regrets. Now that's only possible if you're a child of God and you are recognizing and focusing on the cross of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because when you recognize that Jesus Christ has paid for my sin on the cross and that he rose from the dead, and when he rose from the dead, he didn't bring those sins with him out of, the, out of that tomb. Amen. Those sins are dead and paid for. They're gone. So I can, because of the power of God's grace, despite all of the many failures in my life, and I'm guessing if you have a pulse, your life as well, if you're honest, I've, I have a lot of failures in my life, a lot of things that, I, that have held me down and, and held me back, and, and I've been the king of could have been, and I've wasted lots of times in regret, and I wish I'd have said this, I wish I'd have done that, I wish I hadn't have said this, I wish I hadn't have done that. Listen, forget that. Here's how Solomon says, says it. Therefore, verse 10, remove sorrow from thy heart. We don't have time to waste being weighted down with the regrets of the past. I should have done this. I, I should have done that. You didn't. And we have to live with the consequences. That's Remember we talked about the, uh, dealing with the reality, accepting the reality and the finality of the fallen tree. But God doesn't want us to live a life of regret. That's why Paul says in Philippians 3, forgetting the past, forgetting the things that are past. So, uh, Paul says, I, I have so much in my past that I regret. So much in my past that I'm ashamed of, but I'm forgetting the past. I'm leaving it in the past. I'm straining towards what's ahead. I'm not straining to hold on to all that guilt and all that regret. That's under the, that's under the blood. That's nailed to the cross. That's in the tomb. Jesus isn't in the tomb, so I'm not going to live in the tomb either. Amen. I'm going to leave the regrets in the past. Solomon says, remove sorrow from thy heart. Forget your failures. It's done. You can't undo them. We have to deal with them. We have to reap what we sow, but forget your failures. And here's the last thing. As we remember our mortality, you have to forsake your sin. You have to forsake your sin. In other words, yeah, yeah, don't carry the burden of your regret, but don't multiply them either. Don't be foolish and multiply. Well, because I'm forgiven, you know, as Paul says in Romans 6, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? In, in Greek, he says, meganoito. May it never be. King James translator says, how can, that, it's the str strongest way that he could say it in the Greek. And so the English translator says, how could we um, convey the strength of what Paul is saying there? And so they translated it, God forbid. That's the strongest way we know how to say it because that's the strongest way that Paul said it. God forbid that we should go on sinning because of God's grace. So you have to forsake your sin. Jesus said, it's not enough to hear my commandments. He said, if you hear my commandments, but you don't put them into practice, you're building your life on the sand. You're building your life in a flood zone. And more people die in the desert from drowning than from heat exhaustion. As shocking as that may sound, because in the, in the desert, there is a real issue with flash flooding. 
And a flood can come through an area so fast that by the time you hear the water coming, you don't have time to get out of the way. And so Jesus said, if you are hearing my words and you're not acting on them, you're not responding to them, yeah, you're building a life, but you're building it in the flood zone. And the rains are going to come down, the floods are going to come up, and your life is going to be wiped out. But if you hear my commands and you put them into practice, then your life is being built on the rock. Now understand, the rains are still going to come. The flood water is still going to come. But if your life is built on the rock, then it will stand through the flood. So you have to forsake your sin. You have to let it go. Don't go back like a dog returning to its own vomit, as Peter says, quoting uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 26. Peter says the soul that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Don't clean up, clean up a pig. It's kind of a dumb thing to do because it's going right back into the mud. Don't be a pig. Don't be a, a don't be a stupid dog. I know that in our culture we love I love dogs. Don't I'm not you know, I know we got pet lovers here. Don't don't shoot me a nasty email about how wonderful your dog is. I'm sure your dog is wonderful, but in this culture dom- dogs were not domesticated. Okay, dogs were dirty animals. They were unclean. They were uh, vicious many times. Uh, he's not talking about your precious little Fido, but even little Fido. If little Fido vomits up, guess what little Fido is going to do if you don't clean it up? He's going to go back and he's going to eat that. And we've all seen our dogs, uh, and I grew up with dogs, we've all seen our dogs eat some pretty disgusting things. And (laughs) Peter's saying, you know what? That's what you look like when you go back to your sin. That's That's how disgusting it looks to God and should look to us when... We go back to our sin. Now, God forgives our sin, and we have the power of forgiveness. We have the power of the blood of Christ. And if we confess our sins, John says he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. But understand that we still need to mortify the flesh. We need to forsake our sins. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So we can do that by the grace of God. So remember your mortality today. How do I remember that? Find your joy, follow your heart, but recognize you're going to face judgment for whatever it is that you're doing, whatever it is you're pursuing. When you make a mistake, move on. But don't keep making the same mistake. Forsake that sin. Now, he concludes this portion by saying, childhood and youth are hable. Childhood and youth are fleeting. Childhood and youth are momentary. I'm 47 years old. I can't believe I'm 47 years old. How did I turn 40? How did I, what, what happened that I'm, all of a sudden I'm 47 years old? I mean, I, I, I think I shared this with you a few weeks ago, but the other day I was, a couple weeks ago now, I was, I was driving on the interstate, and all of a, a song came on, and all of a sudden I was 18 again in my head, and it was like, it was like last week that I'm driving that road and listening to that song, and I thought, where does, where does time go? That's almost 30 years ago. A moment. A breath. So we better start today remembering that we're going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account. And so we better start today making the most of the life, the blessings, the joy that God has given us. Here's the second thing we need to remember. Remember your mortality 
and remember your Creator. Remember your Creator now. Look at chapter 12 with me. Remember now thy Creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, understand that when we talk about our Creator, we're, we are talking about Jesus Christ, our Creator. Solomon didn't understand God the way that we do. Even though Solomon was divinely inspired by the Holy Spirit, Messiah hadn't come yet. Solomon saw Messiah in shadows and pictures and types, as Hebrews says, as Paul says in his epistles. We look back historically on Messiah revealed. But make no mistakes, Jesus Christ is the one we are to remember. Deuteronomy 8.18, but thou shalt Remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. Colossians 1.16, for by him, speaking of Jesus Christ, were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He is our creator. And Solomon says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Now, let me give you three reasons. Now, three reasons. Uh, Solomon says, uh, remember now thy creator. That means you are a creation. You are a creation. And a creator creates something for a purpose. If you have been created by a creator, don't think that you are the one creation that doesn't have a purpose. You see his creation all around you. You see the majesty of his, and the glory of his creation all around you. Everything has a purpose. So do you. You have a purpose. You were created. You were given specific gifts that I was not given. You're given opportunities that I, that I have not been given. And you're given those things for a reason. Remember, God called Moses at the burning bush. Moses didn't want to go. Moses didn't want to live out his purpose for what he had been created. But God, I don't speak well, God. You want, you, you, you want, you want me to be a, a speaker, a leader? I don't, I, don't, I don't speak well. God says, who gave you your mouth? What are you, what are, what are you talking to me about? You, you can't talk. And by the way, I've already taken care of that. I'm, I'm going to send your brother with you, Aaron, because he's, he's got an eloquent voice. God created you for a purpose. He knows what limitations you have. He knows what gifts you have. He's given them to you a purpose. He's given you opportunities that other people don't have. Esther was created for a purpose, and she lived out her purpose for a time such as this. You were created for a time such as this. You have a role to play in this crazy time in which we live. And how do I know that? Because you're here. God put you here. You have a, a purpose in our community because God put you here. You have a purpose. We have to live out that purpose. So remember your creator now. You've been created. You have a purpose. Number two, remember uh, your creator now because adversity is looming. We've talked about this throughout this study. Seasons change. If you're not in a rough season now, it's coming. So use the freedom that you have now before the opportunity passes. How many of us 
could look back in our life and say, man, I missed that opportunity. I had a chance, missed that opportunity. Had an opportunity to invest in that stock, missed that opportunity. Had an opportunity to take that job, missed that opportunity. Now, again, we don't, we've got to remove sorrow. We don't, we don't get anchored by those regrets. We shouldn't be anchored by, we do get anchored, but we shouldn't be anchored by those regrets. We've got to break those chains by the power of God. But we also have to realize and, and allow those regrets to remind us that opportunities can evaporate quickly. They can be gone quickly. We have to move when we have the chance. We have to move. Stop waiting uh, for God to do everything for you. God will not do for you what he has commanded you to do for him. God wants to, he'll give you the power and he'll give you the will, but he wants to work through you. He doesn't just want to do for you. He wants to work through you. And so we have responsibilities. We have things that we need to to do as well. So remember thy creator now before the day of adversity comes because it is coming. Adversity trial is coming. It's part of the burden that God has placed upon mankind because of sin. And so if no other adversity is coming, understand this. This is the third reason that Solomon says because old age is coming. If no other adversity comes, know that old age is coming. And old age, and I've seen this in uh, the lives of my grandparents, uh, all of whom are now with, um, with the Lord, it will severely limit your ability to serve God. Amen. You better serve Him now because you don't know whether you're going to have the health you have today, whether you're going to have them tomorrow. You don't know whether you're going to have the opportunity. You don't know whether you're going to have the strength. You don't know what physical issue could come up because of age, because of time on your body. You know, I've had issues. Thankfully, uh, I haven't had any major issues recently, but I've had even uh, in our marriage, short marriage, I've had issues with sciatica that have been severely limiting to me. I had to stop lifting weights. I had to stop running. I have to do non-contact exercise because of my back. I have arthritis in my uh, lower back. Um, Stuff I didn't have to worry about when I was 20. Stuff I didn't have to worry about when I was even 30. But I have to worry about it now. I'm limited in the things that I can do. Just, and that's just a small way that age has hit me already. Old age is coming. Listen to how he describes old age. I know this isn't pleasant. I know this isn't cheerful. But it should be motivation to, to serve God now, to remember God now. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, when, while the evil day comes not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. So sad, one of the great tragedies of the restrictions being placed, especially in our nursing homes, are people who are just failure to thrive, just given up. And we need to pray for those people and... Uh, keep them in our prayers. But these are people who are, are literally living this out. And they wake up in the morning and they say, I have no pleasure. I have no pleasure in this. Verse 2, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. Um, he's talking about the winters in Israel, which, were, which are dark, cold, stormy winters. And he's using, again, this is a poetic conclusion to the book. He's saying 
that old age brings difficulty, and, and now he's going to list some of those difficulties in a poetic form. Verse 3, in the day when the keepers of the house shall tremble. One of the things that we see in uh, many seniors, trembling, weakness in the arms. And the strong men shall bow themselves, weakness in the legs. And the grinders cease because they are few, loss of teeth. Saw this with my grandparents when they, you know, my grandfather popped his teeth out. Um, Those that look out of the windows be darkened. In other words, declining eyesight. This really impacted my grandmother who kept driving after she should not have been driving. And she hit a car and parked car, empty parked car. And it was not her fault. It was the person who parked there because... They were spending the night with their girlfriend, and you're not supposed to do that. And they were sinning, and so it was not her fault that that car was parked there that she ran into. Miss my grandma. Declining eyesight. How many times I walk into the kitchen? Hey, grandma. She'd wait to, she'd say, oh, hi, and she'd wait to, identify myself because she couldn't she she didn't want to admit she couldn't see but she couldn't tell who I was verse 4 and the doors shall be shut in the street when the sound of the grinding is low loss of appetite and he shall rise up at the voice of the bird inability to sleep for long periods of time and all the daughters of music shall be brought low hearing impairment hearing sensitivity Uh, at one of my other churches we had some um, some seniors who had some real issues with hearing sensitivity, and, and we want to be respectful of that and responsive to that, but they would sit every Sunday, they would sit right below the speaker, and they'd sit right below the speaker so they could hear better, but then the music was too loud, and it became this constant um, back and forth, and you know, trying to be sensitive, but also trying to help them understand that other people need to be able to hear the music, who aren't sitting right under the speaker. Verse 5, also when they shall be afraid of that which is high, fears shall be in the way. Um, There's a real fear and danger of falling when you get older. And the almond trees shall flourish. This is speaking of whiteness of hair. I'm getting some some gray in here. But uh, almond trees uh, have white blossoms. He's talking about when your hair turns white. And you know who you are. I don't need to point you out. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. The grasshopper shall be a burden. One of the things that happened to my grandfather was uh, because of a heart surgery that he had um, and the way that he healed, he became very crooked and uh, hunched over. Desire shall fail. Physical desires have increasingly diminished returns the older that you get. Because man goeth to his long home and the mourners go about the street or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bowl be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheel broken at the cistern. Note his emphasis here on the beauty of life, on the form of life, that even in death there is beauty, but it is a brokenness of beauty. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the spirit shall return unto God who gave it. Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. Here's the last thing you need to remember about remembering thy creator. You say, I'm not young anymore. Then, then get this, remember before it's too late. Because someday it will be too late. And you're not guaranteed tomorrow any more than I am. 
So remember thy creator before it's too late. When the silver cord be loosed, and it can happen, you can see it coming from a distance, or it can happen in a moment. One of my uh, closest friends passed away a few years ago, went out running, did not make it home. Was in, he thought he was the healthiest of his life. And in a moment, he was with Jesus. Now, thankfully, he is with Jesus. But don't wait until it's too late. Remember your creator now. Remember now and live life with urgency. Vanity of vanities, verse 8 saith. Saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Hable, Hableem, all is Hable. Everything is a breath. Everything is fleeting. So you need to remember your creator now. So let me ask you two questions as we close. Have you trusted in Christ as your Savior? He's your creator. He created you for a purpose. Have you trusted in him for your forgiveness of sins? Have you trusted in him for salvation? Have you confessed your sin? And received him as the only way to be forgiven, as the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. The only way we can be saved is through confessing our sin, trusting in Christ's forgiveness for our sin and his resurrection. If you haven't done that, will you do that today? We're going to sing a song here in just a moment. We're going to give you a chance to, to respond. If you're watching... Have you done that? Will you do that today? Trust him as your savior. For those of us who have, are you living for him? Are you remembering your creator as you live your life? Are you serving him as Lord? God has made the world and everything in it. He made you and put you in it for a purpose. Are you living that out? Luke 6, 46, why call ye me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say. Jesus answered and said unto them, John 6, this is the work of God that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. And John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. Would you stand as we close? Have you received him? Are you serving him? Let's have a word of prayer as we prepare to sing together. Father, if there's somebody here today who has never been forgiven of their sin. They've never trusted in Christ. God, I pray that by your spirit and by the convicting power of your word, God, we know that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We pray that the word of God is convicting them even now to place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But God, for those of us who have made that decision, God, help us to see by your spirit, by your word, if we're really living in remembrance of these two essential truths before allowing the devil to distract us. Help us to serve you, God, with all that we have before the days of service are over. We love and thank you. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.